Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. It's not by our good works or how righteous we are, but it's by God's mercy that we are loved and chosen. Do listen to today's teaching from Romans 9 as Pastor Priji continues to teach from the Gospel according to Paul series. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Do you remember at what point we concluded last week? Paul was saying there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God available in Christ Jesus, nor heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor demons, nothing in my past nor anything in my future, nothing in my present, no worries that I have, no feelings that I have, no struggles, no addictions that I may be facing with. None of this can separate me, disconnect me, remove me away from the love of God available in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, now he goes with that in context. With that in context, we are going to Romans chapter 9 verse 1. to 33 says with Christ as my witness i speak with utter truthfulness my conscience and the holy spirit confirm it do you remember last time we learned a principle that there is a affirming that happens where my spirit joins with god's spirit and then affirm to me that i am a child of god affirm to me that i am a son or a daughter of god affirm to me what i have to do with my life my spirit joins with god's spirit and and confirms to me and 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 speaks to me and gives me clarity on what to do now paul is going back to that same principle he's saying there are two things that work constantly to bring out the things that i speak to make sure that everything that i say is true to make sure that everything that i say holds value for a long time for eternity there has to be two things one is my consciousness or what happens in my spirit and the holy spirit if both of them don't affirm it if both of them don't confirm it then it is not really true let me give you an example if if i say that okay god is about to bless you let's say that that is something that my conscience want to tell you now it may be true it may actually not be true you know in terms of you know what god wants to do in your life at that point let's say i say god wants to give you a car in this next one week now let's say that i'm speaking that from my consciousness but if i am not doing it in accordance to what the holy spirit is also telling me then it may not be truthfulness so that's why paul says with christ as my witness i speak with utter truthfulness who confirms it my consciousness and the holy spirit comes together to confirm that what i'm saying what i'm speaking is in true what he's saying is my spirit my consciousness and the holy spirit comes together to affirm to confirm that what i am saying is true what is he saying verse 2 he says my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief why why is paul's heart filled with sorrow we just finished such a glorious chapter in romans chapter 8 who can be in sadness after having understood so much spiritual revelations you know romans chapter 8 by the way is one of the best chapters in the entire bible you can read romans chapter 8 every day for the rest of your life and you'll not get tired you still have something more to glean from it and 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 paul has just received this revelation and he's writing about it and then he goes on to say but yet my heart it's breaking it is filled with grief it is bitter it is you know there is it feels like this is this pain is not going to go away 
but what is causing him this pain? Is it because he has a physical sickness? Is it because he doesn't have money to pay his bills? Is it because somebody rejected him? Is it because he's not celebrated or accepted in the churches that he wanted to be recognized in? What was the reason that Paul's heart was filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief? Verse 3, it is for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. That is what is causing me unending grief and agony. Not, not my needs, but the needs of my people is causing me grief. It is causing me agony. It is causing me pain. It is causing me sorrow. You know, this is a man that loves God. This is a man who understands what it means to be secure in God, who has had a revelation of God's love for him and who loves God deeply to the extent that he is willing to die for the sake of this gospel that he is preaching. And he says, but right now, my heart is troubled. Right now, I am in deep agony, deep, deep pain because of my family, my physical family. He had a physical family. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin and that was one of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And he says, but this, my Jewish brothers and sisters, they, they have not understood this truth. They have not received this revelation that I receive from God. And for that reason, I am in bitter pain. I am in bitter sorrow. I am in unending grief. I don't know if you're ready for this, but if you truly love Jesus, his pain is going to become your pain. His grief is going to become your grief. And I'm telling you this, sometimes when we come to the Lord, all that we want is solutions and answers to our own personal problems. But instead of that, if we can carry his heart, if we can carry his burden, if we can say, Lord, fill my heart with the things that break your heart. If I can be burdened, if I can, let me never be burdened about the fact that I don't have money to pay my bills. Let me never be burdened about the fact that I don't have people in my life or that I don't have, uh, you know, human acceptance. No, let me, let me be broken. Let my heart break for the things that your heart is going after. In fact, Paul says, I want you to read the next line very carefully. What does he say? says, what would he be willing to do? I would be willing to be forever cursed and even cut off from Christ if that would mean to save them. <laughs> that is, this guy truly means what he's saying when he says that my heart is broken for my people. See, what is the biggest blessing you have in life? The bungalow that you live in, the, the car that God gave you, the beautiful wife that God blessed you with, the amazing children. What is the, what is the biggest, highest blessing that you've received in your life? Having Christ. It's not even heaven. You understand what I'm saying? It's not even heaven. Heaven is also not the ultimate blessing. It is Jesus himself who is the ultimate blessing. And Paul, having gone to heaven, Paul having seen this Jesus face to face, Paul having lived in close communion and fellowship with Jesus, Paul says, you know, I know that this means the world to me. At one point he in fact said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he said, if there is one thing that I, I, would, I would want to exchange this with, it is for the salvation of my people. It is for the, it is for the fact that I, I would want to see my people saved. That, that, that their salvation is, I'm okay to give up my salvation, my, my relationship with Jesus for the sake of these guys. Now, I'm not saying that God will expect that from you. But I want you to understand the seriousness of this guy. That he's willing to put everything on the line. He's willing to put the, the only, the greatest, the, the highest blessing that he has had in life. 
He's willing to put that on the line so that his nation can experience a revival. His nation can experience his people. Now, you should understand, the people of Jew, the, the people of Israel, the Jews, they are not his assignment. You know that, right? God sent Peter to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. So technically, the Jews are not his assignment. But he was willing to be so burdened about these Jews, saying, they are my family. How can I see them go into hell? And I want you to pray for your family members with this passion. This week, this season, I want you to pray with that burden, saying, I am willing to put everything on the line to see my family members saved. I'm willing to put everything on the line to see my city, my nation, be, receive a touch from the Lord. Here we are. We, 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 we complain about the fact that we have to, you know, you know, go to church, tune into these services, do these things, do that things. Because, you know, uh, why, why should I have to do it, you know? Like, I've had people who say, uh, wait a minute, I also want to, you know, sit and just enjoy worship. I don't want to serve in this team or that team because I just want to enjoy. And here is Paul saying, I'm willing to give up my relationship with Jesus so that by means of me being away from Jesus, I can exchange and get someone else's salvation. Check out what he's saying. Can this church be that passionate? Can this church be that burden? If we have to be a church that will win souls, we have to be a church that is going to host revival in our city and our nation, then this is the kind of people that God is looking for. God is looking for those who are willing to be in fact cursed or, or, or even cut off from Christ, which means that they are willing to sacrifice everything, their physical, spiritual, relational needs, just so that they can become a soul winner for Jesus. And to tell you the truth, the more you do that, the more you will gain Christ. The more you put everything on the line to serve God's purposes for you, the more you will receive from Him. See, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, why was He crying? Because He was about to be cut off from His Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? But do you think that because Jesus was cut off from the Father. He was actually cut off from the Father. Did he have to be cut off from the Father? Was he in pain? Was he in agony? Did he have to go through that process of in fact carrying the cross? Yes. But did he actually get cut off from the Father? No. In fact, the Bible says when God saw the humility that Jesus had, he raised him up and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at his name, every in heaven and on earth shall bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you, when you sacrifice, when you're willing to give up, when you're willing to lay down your preferences, your Isaacs to serve God's purposes, don't ever think that God will not reward you back. Amen. The more you give to the Lord, the more you serve Him, the more the Lord will serve your purposes. The Lord will take care of your needs. He knows what you need and he knows when you need it. And he goes on to explain in verse 4. He says, these are my people. They are the people of Israel. They are chosen to be God's adopted children. You remember in chapter 8, we spoke about adoption. Come on, last Sunday we did it, right? He spoke about adoption. He gave us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption, a spirit of sonship. Yeah, he filled us with that spirit. He says, he's talking about the nation of Israel and he says, this nation, they were chosen to be God's adopted children. Not begotten children. He only has one begotten child. Everybody else, including Israel and the Gentiles, we are all adopted. You understand what I'm saying? He says, they are the people of Israel who are chosen to be God's adopted children. Okay? They were chosen. They didn't do anything to be chosen. God chose them in his foreknowledge. We studied that also last week. Verse 29 and 30, I think, of Romans chapter 8. God foreknew these people and whom he foreknew, he 
predestined and whom he predestined he called them to come to him and who came to him he justified and who were justified he also glorified now the bible says the nation of israel they were chosen they were they were god had a predestination over the nation of israel to be god's adopted children in fact what did god do god revealed his glory to them when he made covenants there were multiple covenants that god made with these guys right from abraham and then jacob and then through the ages even even during the time of david and solomon god would come and make covenants with the nation of israel and the bible says he he revealed his glory to them by making covenants with them and gave them his law and in fact it says that he gave them this privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises it's a privilege every sunday when we come into this church and we get to worship him we get to sing to him don't look at it as a obligation it's a privilege it's a privilege that many don't have it's a privilege that unless god gives it to you like i think elena mentioned it this morning unless you can only give to god what he has already given to you this this is a privilege that he gave to you and it says that he gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises this is the nation of israel we're talking about what did god do god chose them yeah and what what else he gave them his glory he he made covenants with them he he had them to he gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving wonderful promises abraham verse 5 abraham isaac and jacob are their ancestors and in fact christ himself is an israelite christ himself was a jew okay and then paul explains this to just add a side note there yes he was a jew in his human nature but at the same time he was god and he's the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise come on now if jehovah witness guys come and try fighting with you you quote them this verse because what they tell is that you know jesus is not god they just say jesus is the son of god just like adam is the son of god just like moses is the son of god just like uh, you know all of us are sons of god but here it says no jesus is not just the son of god he is god you read in every translation possible you go to the root meaning that meaning this meaning everywhere you go you will find the same verse jesus is god yes in his human nature he was a israelite he was a jew but in his divine nature he is still god and he is the one who rules over everything he is the one who has sovereignty over everything and somebody said an amen, amen. So then he goes on to say well then this god has god failed to fulfill his promises to israel coming back to the topic of discussion he's saying well then let me ask you this did god forget to fulfill his promises to israel because what did god do god called them god chose them god showed them glory gave them covenants gave them the privilege of worshiping him no other nations on the earth had access into his presence but god gave them this supernatural privilege of worshiping him experiencing his glory and god gave them promises so then he says but let me ask you this has god failed because when we look at the nation of israel right now paul is saying it doesn't look like god is fulfilling his promises because these guys i they they are away from christ I am willing to exchange my salvation for their salvation that's the state at which they are living in right now so has god failed to fulfill his promises to the nation of israel he says no i'll explain why he says because not all who are born into the nation of israel are truly the members of god's people just because somebody is born in a particular nation doesn't mean that they are god's people he explains further verse 7 he says being descendants of abraham doesn't make them truly abraham's children do you understand what i'm saying yeah. he says 
Just because you are born in Abraham's family doesn't make you part of Abraham's family. I know it's confusing. I, I intend to confuse you. I'm, I'm just re-quoting what Paul said, okay? This is not my theology, by the way. You want to throw stones, you throw at him. You'll have to wait till heaven to do that, but you th throw stones at him. What, what does he say? He says, just because you are Abraham's child doesn't mean you're Abraham's child. Because Abraham did have other sons. Abraham did have other children. But the Bible says, Isaac is the one through whom your descendants will be counted even though Abraham had many other children. Now, everybody that is descendants of Abraham, they, they were like, oh, we are descendants of Abraham. But God says, no, no, no. If just because you are a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you are a descendant of Abraham. There are, there are some people that I have counted, that I have selected, that I have called them to myself. That's why I said this is a privilege. The fact that you and I, we are in church today, this is not because... Oh man, I decided to follow Jesus. You have not decided to follow Jesus. He decided to make you follow him. You and I, you know, the, the, what's the maximum we can manage to do with our life? We can't decide to follow Jesus. He decided to call us to himself. It says that just because these guys are part of Abraham's family doesn't mean that they were actually Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, the Isaac is the one. He is the one who is counted. Only his descendants. See, after Sarah died, before Sarah died, he had a son in the flesh. Who was it? Ishmael. So, so here are two women, you know, in the book of Galatians, Paul compares that to the uh, child of the spirit and the child of the flesh. Okay? So here is... Here is something that can be given birth to in the spirit. And here is something that can be given birth to in the flesh. And then God says, hey, I know this is, this is also your descendants. Technically speaking, this is also your work. Technically speaking, this is also your business. Technically speaking, this is also your children. This is also your family. But I'm interested in those things that you gave birth to in the spirit. Amen. That you gave birth to because there was a promise because there was a word from God, because there was a covenant with God, because there was a relationship with God. I'm interested in those things. That is where my promises will be fulfilled. We can look at all of the things that we have and bring it before God and say, God, you promised to bless my family. Where is the blessing? And then God is asking you, hey, wait, I didn't, just because they are part of your church doesn't mean they are part of your church. Just because they are in your family doesn't mean they are in your family. I am interested in those things that are born of the promise, that are born of the spirit. Let me go forward. It says, that means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. So only the children of promise, the ones that were born according to the promise. Verse 9, because God promised to Abraham, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now, of course, we can get lost in this place and go back into studying Israel and the nation and how God wants to redeem all of that. We are not going to do that. We're trying to apply this to our lives today. Okay. So God says, I gave a promise. I spoke something. I released a word into your spirit. In fact, you know, there was one time when Abraham told, uh, you know, uh, God, okay, here is Ishmael, bless him, do whatever you want to do with him. And God said, yes, yes, I will bless Ishmael. Don't worry about it. But he's not the one that I have chosen. I have chosen the one that I have given you a promise about. And God says, next year I will return to you and your wife, Sarah, God had to be specific this time so that he doesn't go looking for another woman. Uh, God is saying, hey, you, your wife, Sarah, from that promise, from the place where you had a revelation, from the place where you had an encounter with God, from that place, you're going to have a child. You are going to give birth to something and that is the child of promise. That is where my favor is. That is where my promise is. That is where my covenant is. Then God goes on to explain in verse 10. 
The son was our ancestor, Isaac. And when he married Rebecca, what did she do? She also gave birth to twins. Okay. Now, just like Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, they were very contrasting in nature. And even before Isaac was born, God said, no, I'm not interested in Ishmael. I'm interested in the Isaac. And in the same way, God says that Isaac also had twins. What were their names? Esau and Jacob. Verse 11. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, Rebecca, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. You should understand this. This is not because Esau was bad and Jacob was good. And so we can never come up to God and say, God, you know what? I was such a good Christian. That's why you chose me. No, God says, no, no, no. It's not because you, you've got nothing to do with it. It's not because you are a good Christian. It's not because you are from a great family. No, no, no. It's because of my great purposes for your life. I am the sovereign God who, who controls all everything and who rules over everything and he says even before Jacob and Esau did anything good or bad God said a word what was that word it says in verse 12 he calls them he calls them for his own purposes he calls these people but not according to their good or bad works she was told Rebecca was told what was Rebecca told your oldest son will serve your younger one. And at this point, you should understand, Rebecca doesn't know who is going to be the older, who is going to be the younger. In fact, Jacob almost came out. You know the story? Yes. Jacob almost came out and Esau pulled him back and Esau came back out first. You know, even in the womb, they were, they, they were struggling, they were fighting. And even at the birth, Jacob was just about to come. But God's desire was that Jacob will be the younger one. So this guy got pulled back in and this guy might be wondering, God doesn't love me. Why is all this trouble in my life? Why is, why is this challenge in my life? But guess what? His, his, all that he was facing and all that he was going through was a means for God's plans and purposes to be fulfilled in his life. Because it says in the words of the scripture, I loved Jacob but what did I do to Esau? But I rejected Esau. Other translations is more harsh. Hated Esau. This I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. And I started, I started praying and meditating on this verse because I, I, I got offended by this verse. You know, this, this doesn't sound good, God. This doesn't sound like a just God. This doesn't sound like a fair God. What? I can understand when Esau went and did something that was bad. You know, Esau, you know what Esau did? He went and married women that were a headache to his parents. Let that just sink in. So all you, all you guys who are considering marriage and relationships and partnerships, you know, it doesn't just have to be partnerships. It does, just doesn't have to be marriage. It could just be partnerships. And see, it was, in fact, Esau's life, no? Why, would, why should God be concerned about that? But the Bible says that his marriage to this local, you know, Canaanite, Hittite woman, it became such a headache to Rebecca. She said, I would like to die. I, you know, she, in fact, said, I would rather die then I love Jacob also to marry one of these girls. So there is, there is a relationship that you can get into that can cause your parents, physical or spiritual, a heavy headache. And, that, and, and then you're wondering, why did the blessing not come to me? And then you're wondering, why did the favor not fall on me? So, so this was my, my struggle with God. I was saying, God, I understand that you're, you're saying, because Esau did all of this, you rejected him or you hated him. But, but why would you do that even before they were born? Even before they did anything good or bad? Because that's what it says, right? 
even before they did anything good or bad god said a word that i have rejected esau i have hated esau but i have loved jacob and this is what god said god said see son when the world sees how much i have favored you how much i have loved you everything else will look like hate in comparison to the love that i'm showing you it is not that god is saying wait 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 i'm going to target this guy i'm going to shoot this guy no 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 god is saying i'm going to set my eyes on so and so person and i'm going to show them so much love i'm going to elevate her so much i'm going to lift her up so much that everybody else will look like you you hate them in comparison see jesus said something similar when he said if you want to follow me you must first hate your father your mother your brother your sister is he actually asking you to go and be nasty to your parents no what is he asking you to do he's saying that your love for jesus your your craziness for jesus your your pursuit of jesus has to be so much that your parents your brother sister should actually think that you hate them you don't hate them you understand what i'm saying you don't hate them but your love for god has to be so radical that everything else should look like hate in comparison to their love and now god says here is a man jacob and god said look at jacob he is a greater failure than esau was and still because i set my eyes upon him i loved him i showed favor on him I'm going to do everything possible give him everything required to lift him up to bless him to make sure he has all the right nourishments required all the right encounters everything required to build him up and this morning the lord is speaking to some of us in this place and the lord says you're not here by accident you're not here because you chose god you're here because god chose you you remember part of our benediction is that i didn't choose god but god chose me I, i i didn't go after him but he came after me god chose you and he, he and he wanted to show off his love for you so much that sometimes the world around you may be wondering why does this guy get what he gets he is not perfect all the perfect people lift your hands up all the sinless people you know those who have never made any mistake all the people who 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 feel that you you know you 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 can never get anything wrong man all of us are failures yeah in one way or the other if the bible says if god had to keep account of our sins who can even stand before him so it is not because of what we have done or not done the bible says i have set my focus on jacob and i have loved him so much that's why paul said he foreknew us even before the creation of the earth even before we were conceived in our mother's womb he saw us he he planned our entire life he foreknew us and the ones that he foreknew he predestined them he chose them he handpicked them from these 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 families he selected them he and then he called them out from those places he went and said come follow me and i will make you fishers of men just come and follow me carry my cross and follow me i have something precious in store for you just come after me and the ones that he called the bible says he justified because these guys they are messed up creatures so he had to justify them he had to give them a, a right standing before the father in heaven he had to lift them up elevate them in their spiritual lives none of us deserve god but jesus made us worthy to receive from god <laughs> to the ones that he predestined to the ones that he called he also justified and the ones that he justified now he glorified we 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 are we are objects of god's favor we are results of god's favor the next verse it says are we saying that god was unfair you know then then i read the next verse and then I, okay paul had the same question if i'm offended this verse and paul is also offended with this okay then then it's 
then it's normal, okay? But then are we saying that God was unfair? Of course not. Verse 15, for God said to Moses, I will show mercy on anyone that I choose. And I will show compassion on anyone that I choose. You and I, we are objects of his mercy. You and I, we are results of God's mercy. He chose us and he, and he, and he showed his mercy towards us. He said, I choose you and I will show you mercy. Do you deserve it? No, you don't deserve it. Do you, do you have, did you pray for it? Did you work hard for it? Did you fast for it? No, you did not. But I'm going to show you mercy. That's why the Bible says, I, he, he, God, told, God told Moses, you know, the context of this is this. We can just read this out of context and we can go back home. But the context of it was at a time when Moses was encountering God. Do you know this time when God called Moses to see him face to face? And God says, okay, come, let me reveal myself to you. And the Bible says, God went before Moses saying, Yahweh, the faithful one, the one unending in love and compassion. I will show mercy to whom I show mercy and I will show compassion to whom I show compassion. So it was in the context of seeing God face to face that God said, I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. On a regular day, anybody that tries to see God outside of Jesus has to be smoked, has to be burnt, has to be ashes. But here is somebody that God says, okay, you don't deserve it. You don't have what it takes, but I will show mercy. You're in the old covenant, Moses, but I will show mercy. And you will see my face. And you will talk to me. In fact, God says, in fact, you know, God says about this in Numbers chapter 12. When I speak to prophets, I speak to them in riddles. When I speak to prophets, I speak to them in dreams. When I speak to prophets, I speak to them in visions. But not so with Moses. With Moses, I speak to him. So Moses was not a prophet. Moses was somebody that was an object of God's mercy. Just like you and I, we are objects of his mercy. We, we are the outcome of the fact that God chose us and, and said, I have set my gaze on you, daughter. And I have, set, I have made up my mind to show mercy to you. I have made up my mind to show you how much I love you. And because of my desire, you are going to have encounters. You are going to have encounters with my face because of my mercy. You are going to experience my presence because I choose whom I choose, says the Lord. And instead of getting offended, instead of getting upset with this God, instead of getting, becoming sad about the things that we don't have, can we celebrate what God is doing in our life? Can we go to him and say, God, you know, you've, you've loved me so much. You've loved me so much. And I, I know that I am an object of this mercy. I know that I, 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 I am here because of your mercy. Verse 16, it says, So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it, nor work for it. You know, my father, he would constantly, when we are, when we are having an intense time of encounters, he, he would keep saying this. And I, I, I wondered why he was saying this. And he would say, don't struggle for it. Let go, let go, let go. And then I realized when I was doing the same thing, when we are struggling hard to get an encounter, where we are, we are trying to do everything, and God is saying, no, you cannot choose it, you cannot work for it. You can just let go and receive it. You can be an object of His mercy. You can just say, okay, Lord, here I am. You, you have already shown mercy to me. You have decided. This is in your word. This was your plan for my life. I believe it. I, I submit myself to it. I, I, I am going to now just stay here and drink of this river that is available for me. Verse 17, for the scriptures say, are you ready for this? This is going to shock you. It says, for the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I, I have appointed you 
for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. No, wait, there was a spelling mistake there. It should be Paul, right? No, it should be the apostles, the anointed ones. No, no, no. Am I right? Who is this guy God is speaking to? To Pharaoh. And what does God say? I have appointed, in the other translations, Pinky said it, I have raised you up. That God saying to Pharaoh, the enemy, the guy who is enslaving God's people, who's crushing them under his feet, and God is saying, I am the one empowering you, Pharaoh. I'm the one raising you. I'm the one promoting you. And most of us Christians, the moment we see that God is enabling and empowering our enemies, we will be offended with that God. We will be. That's where you have to read the full statement. It says, for my purposes. Because I will, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But for my purposes, for my purposes, I am going to lift up Pharaoh. For my purposes, I'm going to elevate him. I'm going to strengthen him. How do you think Pharaoh became so rich? What? How did he become rich? His wisdom? Whose wisdom was it? No, Joseph's wisdom. Who was Joseph? He was the second in line to the Pharaoh. And who told Pharaoh to, you know, to do these, these, these things. Joseph told him. Joseph is the man who made Pharaoh the billionaire or the richest person in his time, the most powerful person of his day. And where did Joseph get his grace and his anointing from? From God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says, you know, we don't see this statement in the Old Testament. We don't see a conversation between God that Pharaoh woke up in the middle of the night saying, oh, God spoke to me. But we, we see it recorded because Paul had a revelation of a conversation between God and Pharaoh. And Paul says, that's why God said to Pharaoh, I have appointed you. You think you're big because you're big? No, I appointed, I raised you, I elevated you up. So those of you who are like threatened by your enemies, for a moment, you have to just go and just thank God for the sovereign hand of God that is even promoting your enemies. Because sometimes it is not through their demotion that God will get the glory. Sometimes it is through their promotion that God will get the glory. And that's where we have to say, okay, God, here I am. I, I, I'm, my eyes are not fixed on Pharaoh. My eyes are not fixed on how strong Pharaoh is. My eyes are fixed on how merciful my God is. And if this merciful God can love me, this merciful God knows how to bring me out of Pharaoh's grip. Let's read on. It says, verse 18, so you see, God chooses to show mercy to some. And then, and he, then he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Now, if you read Exodus, you will see then God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the people go. Now you understand the context. Without understanding the context, you, you'll be like, why did God do that? And here is God saying, I'm, I'm displaying my glory. This is, this is not about Jacob. This is not about Esau. This is not about Pharaoh. This is about my purposes. And it is about my glory and it is about my honor to be displayed all over the earth. And for this reason, I'm going to love Jacob and I'm going to reject, ignore Esau. And for this reason, I'm going to promote a Pharaoh, elevate him, raise him up, give him power, give him prominence, give him money, everything required to trample over my Jacob. And then I will show off my glory. How will I do it? I will further harden this guy's heart. When I'm showing mercy to somebody, I'm going to harden this guy's heart. And I'm going to bring out my glory. Let me explain this further, okay? He says, well, you know, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? 
haven't they simply done what God makes them do? Haven't they just done exactly what God wanted them to do or what God makes them do? Because he is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he is the one who, who, who is, uh, uh, you know, showing mercy to Israel. Verse 20, re- read this with me. No, don't say that. Of course not. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Verse 21, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another jar for throwing garbage into it? Paul says, doesn't God have the right to do whatever he wants to do? Should the, should the clay, you know, get into argument with the potter? Should the creature get into argument with the crea- creator? No, it is God's will, God's purposes, God's plan from the very beginning. You know what we should be rejoicing in? That he chose us to decorate. Amen. He chose us for mercy. While, while it is very natural, while it is very normal for us to, for our hearts to be broken for those others that are not chosen. In fact, Paul says, if it's possible, I would trade my salvation for theirs. Do you remember that? He's not looking down on the others that are not chosen. Please understand, we are not here to judge the others. Here we are, we are here to feel special about ourselves. The fact that God, God chose us in his sovereign plan, not because we worked for it, not because we earned it, not because we are perfect, in his sovereign plan, the same God who hardens the heart of a Pharaoh chose to show mercy on Jacob. The same God, the same potter who creates a, a, a jar for decoration, for glory, for beauty, for, for, for displaying his grace, also makes a jar to throw garbage into. And here we are, objects of his mercy. Objects of his mercy. This is a gospel of his mercy. This is a gospel of God's mercy. This is not a gospel of our righteousness. This is a gospel of his mercy. It says, verse 22, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, what does he do? He is patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are... Isn't that crazy? Just like there are some that are destined for eternity, there are some that are destined for destruction. Now, what would you and I think God would do with this person? For to some that is destined for destruction, what would God do? Show his anger on them? You know, just kick them out. You guys, I don't like you. Get out. The Bible says, God chose, even though God has a right to show his anger and his power, what did God do? God is very patient. With whom? Not the chosen ones. Please understand, not the ones in the, not you and me. I'm not talking about you and me. I'm talking about a loving God. I'm talking about a gracious God. And I'm not talking about how he is showing mercy and grace to uh, you and me and how he's being patient with you and me. I'm talking about how he's very patient on those on whom his anger falls. With a Sodom and Gomorrah. With a Pharaoh. You know, God gave him 10 opportunities. 10 opportunities. And I'm thinking, God, when it comes to Moses, you didn't give him 10 chances. One mistake he did and he was out of the game. And here is Pharaoh. Ten times he, you know, went against God. Ten times he rebelled. Ten times he didn't do what God expected him to do. And still, he, God blessed him. And still, God had patience with him. Still, God waited for him to show up. So when God shows a lot of patience to you, that's not a good sign. Even on the ones that were destined for destruction, God is patient. God shows grace. This is the God that we serve, guys. I I know, I know that this morning's service is not a regular ideal service. I don't have like one, you know, 
big point that I want to share with you and finish. I'm just reading scripture with you guys, okay? This is how we have to understand what God is trying to speak to us. It says that even though he has the right to show his anger, even though he can crush Pharaoh down, he says he was patient with him. He was, he was, he knew Pharaoh is destined for destruction, just like you and I are destined for life. But still, he was patient with him. Verse 23. Why does he do this? He does this to make the riches of his glory shine brighter on those on whom he shows mercy. So there, is a, there are two categories of people. One category of people on whom his anger falls. Another category of people on whom his mercy falls. Okay, But why, why is it that God elevates the Pharaoh? We get the answer here. Why is it that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart? Why is it that God is being patient to Pharaoh? Why? So that the riches of his glory would shine even brighter. On whom? On those to whom he shows mercy who are prepared in advance for glory. You and I, we are prepared for glory. Just like Pharaoh was prepared for destruction, you and I, we are prepared for glory. In advance, God chose us for his glory. He chose us for his glory. He chose us. He, he handpicked us. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. And he, then he glorified us. He prepared us in advance for his glory. Verse 24. And yes, we are. Come on, read it with me. And we are among those whom he selected. Both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. And then and Paul says, okay, I'm not just talking about Jews here. From both categories, there are people that God has called. How? By his word. Like, you remember there was a word that went to Abraham said, through Isaac, your descendants will be counted. And God says, and then Paul explains and says, there was a word that did go out for Gentiles also. Let's read about it before we finish. It says um, in the next verse, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Isaiah, those who were not my people, I will now call my people. All the Gentiles said aloud, amen to that. This is a prophecy about you and me right there in the Bible. Guys, we have to celebrate this. The, the Isaac's prophecy was not necessarily about us, but this prophecy is about us. This prophecy is about you and me. The Bible says, those who are not my people. You and I, we were not his people. But the, but the Lord says, those who are not my people, I will call them my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. Yes, I, I, I loved Jacob and I rejected and I hated, and I did not love Esau. But then, God says, but then, those whom I did not love before, now I'm going to love them. Amen. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to set my gaze on some of these guys, Gentiles, who are not circumcised, who don't know anything about the law, who has no idea about what it means to follow God. I'm going to set my gaze upon them. Amen. I'm going to call them my people. Amen. And I'm going to love them. See, you should understand, God is not saying, I'm going to convert them into a religion. No. He's saying, I'm going to make them my people. And I'm going to love them. All of God's people said an amen. amen. All those that are loved by God said an amen. amen. Verse 26, and then at that place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. This is concerning the Gentiles. You and I, we are called the children of the living God. And concerning Israel, the prophet Isaiah cried out saying, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. See, you, you understand the, the context. Paul begins by saying, did God's promises to the nation of Israel fail? Then he says, not all of Abraham's descendants are Abraham's descendants. So even though they are as numerous as the sand on the seashore, only a small remnant 
of the Jews will be saved. That was a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. And Paul says, that's what it says. Just like God is going to handpick and call people out of Gentiles and call them my people and love them and, and make them part of his family, call them children of the living God. In the same way, I'm going to preserve a remnant among the Jews. This is God's promise. And he says, hey, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. How many of us are happy that we are spared? How many of us are happy that we have, we, we have not been wiped out? We have not been destroyed. It is His mercy, His grace, His favor. Verse 30, what does all of this mean? Do you want to see the conclusion of this chapter? He's saying, what does all of this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. Why? Because of faith. Verse 31, and the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law did not succeed. Just check this out. What, what is God trying to, Paul is trying to conclude the entire chapter. And he's saying, the Gentiles, they had no clue about God. They were not trying at all to follow God. And still, they are now called the children of God. And the Jews who are trying so hard to follow God, only a tiny remnant. The rest never succeeded. What is Paul trying to say? Paul is trying to say, it's not based on your works. It is first based on the fact that he selected us. He chose us. He called us. He showed mercy upon us. And when we have faith, when we respond to it in faith, the next verse, he says, why not? Why did they not succeed? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. They were trying to act in the flesh, creating Hagar's instead of giving birth to uh, Isaac's. You understand? You know, you know the comparison he brought he says they were not trusting the promise they were trusting themselves Abraham was trusting himself when he gave birth to Ishmael through Hagar and God is saying why did they not succeed because they were trying to do it in their own ability in their own ability all that they could manage was to give birth to an Ishmael but when they begin to trust God when they begin to turn their affection to someone else. It says, hey, they, 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 it says because they did not trust in God, they stumbled over the great rock. They stumbled over the great rock. Even that was in the prophecy. Even that was a prophecy in the Old Testament. Read the next line. It says, verse 33, God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble a rock that makes them fall but anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be disgraced so today we have the option of trusting in the Lord or to be stumbling on that rock Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 21 verse 44 he says I'm placing a stone in in Jerusalem whoever falls on this stone will be broken but whoever the stone falls upon will be crushed. You and I, we can fall upon the stone. Will we be broken? Yes. Will we, will we, uh, will we have to go through a process of letting go of ourselves? Yes. Will we have to go through a process of dying to our flesh? Yes. But it's better than letting the rock fall on us. If you fall on this rock, you will be broken. But anyone on whom this rock falls upon they will be crushed this morning I'm inviting you to fall on this rock I'm inviting you to come to this Jesus I'm inviting you to just come and say Lord I trust you I trust this mercy that is mine I trust this predestination over my life I trust this foreknowledge over my life I trust this and I I choose to come and lay myself down on that rock 
I, I will not try hard to, to prove to God that I deserve this anymore. I'm just going to trust His mercy in my life. I'm not going to try hard to, to prove to people that I am a great Christian. No, I'm just going to just stay here and be an object of His grace and His mercy. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for a live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash Pastor Priji. God bless you and have a blessed week.